0: Good morning, everyone. Glad that you're here with us. If you have a Bible, Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be reading from this morning, page 833 in the church Bibles. We're going to be re- begin reading in verse 15, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. While you're turning there, if you're new to West Cohasset, my name is Joe Franzone, and I serve as the pastor here. You want to make sure that you know you're quite welcome. Glad that you've chosen to be here with us. This morning, we're going to read from God's Word and then we're going to ask God for His help. Colossians 1 verse 15, let's hear the Word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Amen. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's bow together and pray. Father, we thank You for the preciousness of Your Word, and we thank You that You are speaking to us about Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our prayer this morning is very simple. Christ with us. Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ on our right and on our left, Christ when we lie down, Christ when we sit down, Christ in every heart of every person who thinks of me, Christ in every mouth of every person who speaks of me, Christ in the eyes that hear us, and Christ in the eyes that see us. And it is in that name, Christ, that we pray this morning. Amen. Friends of mine, from another time and another place they were just in an awful, awful state. They were husband and wife and both both were desperately hoping for children. His wife having multiple miscarriages was unable to carry their children to full term. Eventually they, they went through the medicinal route, saw a fertility specialist, Gave it due diligence over a number of years, but nothing happened. And eventually they decided to remove themselves from that course of action. So they waited and prayed and waited and cried and waited and hoped. They had begun to look into adoption and then, then it happened. One month, two months, six months, nine months. And a healthy baby boy after a number of years was brought into this world. So one evening they were over at our apartment, my wife and I, our apartment, we were praying and studying the Bible together with them. We finished with all that and we were saying our goodbyes and I told him after we were about ready or they were about ready to leave, I said, I I want you to know that my wife and I are just so happy for you. And he said, thank you. And he said, we are so thankful to Christ. And I remember being struck that he didn't say, we are so thankful to God, which of course would have been just fine. But he said, we are so thankful to Christ. And then he told me, he said, you know, I sing to our baby every night. So I asked him, because I like music, as you know, I said, what, what do you sing? And then he said, well, to be honest with you, he sang. So you have two grown men in a hallway, and one of the grown men is about ready to sing to me, which I can't recall anybody ever singing to me like that, which I didn't pay money to, but anyway, he, he began to sing this song that he sings to his child every night, and the song is this, Jesus, in fact, you can't say this without singing it, so I'm kind of give you like half of singing, is that okay? If I gave you the whole thing, you'd all walk out, it'd be a horrible mess. But he sang it like this, he said, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's... Just something about that name. And in essence, as as he was singing to his child, he was worshiping his king. He was worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in song. And that is part of what worship is, isn't it? In part, it's praising Christ for who he is and praising Christ for what he's done. So that in that context, full attention on Christ. Full, Full attention on Christ. Naming the name, naming the name, and knowing what the name that you are naming means. Now, we need to pay attention to this because, believe it or not, the name of Jesus Christ in the West right now is on less and less lips. Let's give me just a few examples. In the um, news blog Seattle Organic, a few months ago, they had this report that the name Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't even make the top 100 searches on Google for 2012. So you say, well, what overtook the name? Well, social media took, overtook the name for searches, shopping, adult content, sports, and of course, finance. All of those had more searches in Google than the name of Jesus Christ. So then a personal example, the last two pair of church gatherings I attended, I could count on my hands the number of times that the name Jesus Christ was actually used in that context. In fact, one of the gatherings, no one even prayed in Jesus name on holiday when I in March, my family and I were on holiday. I, I played this little game because I was curious and I wanted to see how many times I would hear the name Jesus Christ or Christ and in, in b- beyond my lips in the context of the places where I went. And to be really honest with you, I counted three times in a week. And two of the times, they were taking his name in vain, and, and one of the th- times, I thought there was a guy that was screaming, and I heard Jesus Christ, and if you're familiar with uh, Nicolette Avenue in the cities, it's, it's a great place for open-air preaching, and I thought maybe someone was doing open-air preaching, and he was saying, Jesus Christ, so I looked over who, who, the guy that was saying Jesus Christ, and he was actually yelling at his, you know, girlfriend or wife or whatever, so all three times I heard the name, it wasn't the way the name was supposed to be heard. Now you ask yourself your, this question, in your context, how many times have you heard the name, just the name, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, in the most appropriate ways? And I'm sure, I'm sure you understand my concern. You know, not only is he my boss, right? He's our savior. He's the king of other, everything, and no name given under heaven is given which can save people. And I, I'm absolutely convinced that the Apostle Paul would be tracking with me here for sure. He, he uses the name of Christ either directly or indirectly 18 times in these first 19 verses of Colossians chapter 1. So he's talking about Christ all the time. In fact, was that, when I was in my studies this week, I had no problem picturing the Apostle Paul when he's writing these verses that we read. I, I had no problem picturing him on his knees, as he kind of launches into this great, truthful description of just who Jesus Christ is. And and how could a Christian really read these words and on some level not be drawn to worship and thanks and just be in awe, just be staggered over the real person of Jesus Christ? And again, ask yourself that question. How often or how lately have you been just just staggered over who Jesus Christ is? Is. In fact, has that ever happened to you? Have you just been overwhelmed, overwhelmed by just who Jesus is? I mean, intellectual knowledge, is, knowledge I get it. We need to have it. But intellectual knowledge has to somehow work itself into some kind of emotional thrust about who Jesus is. I mean, look at the book of Revelation. There's a great amount of motion all over the book. You'll remember that, that part of the problem of the Christians in Colossae is that they lost just they lost sight of just how powerful and how awesome Jesus is so they kind of grown a bit muddled in their spirituality and they begin to devalue Jesus and they begin to degrade Jesus and they do that awful thing they try to compartmentalize Jesus into just one specific part of their life thereby failing to recognize his worthiness his authority and then respond accordingly in how they uh, unfold and how they think in their existence. Christians will either grow or shrink in direct proportion to their vision of Jesus Christ. I mean, you have to realize that. A low view of Christ will bring spiritual decay. A high view of Christ brings spiritual maturity. And so Paul is, is wisely shepherding his, his readers here. And he's saying to them, I want you to see who Jesus is. Please see just exactly who Jesus is which is why after he prays that prayer in verses 9 through 14 that we went over the past couple of weeks, so he's praying that prayer, and essentially that prayer is, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Now he's doing what you ought to do, and he's telling us exactly who this Jesus is in one sense. Okay, if we're going to live a life worthy of Jesus, and we're going to please him in every way, we're going to need to know everything about Jesus, if my whole life is to be for him, he better be something. And what we're going to discover is that Jesus is something. There's, there's no one like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ re- refuses to have any colleagues alongside of him. And that's, that's why Christianity has always been such a scandalous, to, uh, scandalous religion to all the other religions in the world. We offend people, we, they oppose us, whether they're Jewish or pagan or Muslim or humanist or communist or atheist, they have always opposed Orthodox Christianity viciously because of the exclusivity of Christianity. But, but even in our culture, Jesus being the only way to God in heaven is either unpopular or it's kind of like, you know, low thinking, kind of low brain thinking. And by the way, if that's going to be the case, then that sure gets in the way of our freedom of choice, right? We have freedom of choice. Are you telling me I only have one God to choose from? Yes, we are. Philip, Philip Ryken, doctor of philosophy, Oxford University, writing in his book, Is Jesus the Only Way? And he's writing a defense that Jesus is the only way, says this, after all, our, our culture invented shopping malls, timeshares, and the internet where everything and anything is for sale. Religion is now called the preference, which makes it sound like a soft drink or a shade of paint. If you can go to the college of your choice, root for the football team of your choice, and eat the yogurt of your choice, and the life of your choice, why can't we pray to the God of our choice? Now, it's, it's a, in one sense, it's a fair question. It has to have an answer. And that's what Paul's going to do for us this morning and, Lord willing, next morning. He's going to give us the answer to this that question. He's going to give us a comprehensive All-inclusive explanation of who Jesus is. Comprehensive, all-inclusive. In fact, if you have your Bible open, just look at the number of times Paul says this, all. Verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. Verse 15. 16b, all things were created by him and all things were created for him. He is, verse 17, before all things and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, at the end, so that in everything or all things, it's pos is the Greek word, he might have the supremacy. Who has supremacy over all things? Jesus Christ. Verse 19, for all of God's fullness is in Christ. Verse 20, so he reconciled to himself all things. So you get this picture that there's just nothing beyond Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is going to tell us. There's nothing beyond him. He's everything. So if you're here this morning and you're new to Christianity or you're still kind of exploring Christianity, and that's your big question, who is Jesus? I mean, why in the dickens do you guys sing to him all the time and you pray in his name and you're always defending him? If you're here this morning and you're like that, first of all, I'm so glad you're here. But this is the reason. Who is Jesus? Well, to begin with, verse 15, if you look at the back of your worship folder, there's a nice little outline there for you, prepared for you. He is the image of the inv- He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. verse 15a. So the question, how do we know a God we cannot see? right? Where do we start? Now the Bible is very, very clear that God is invisible. He is a spirit, and he doesn't have a body like God we do. And point of fact, the Bible says it very plainly. 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God. No one. Well, what about the lady who said, or the guy who said, or the child who said, no. No one has ever seen God because God is invisible. And this makes sense. If one of the attributes of God is that God can be fully everywhere, he cannot have a body like we do. But Jesus Christ, who is described, verse 13, as the son God loves, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's, if I was taking notes, that's what I'd write down. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So the word image there is used uh, in verse 15 is literally icon. It's the, used, it's the word used for an exact copy or a representation. It's the legal word that the businesses would use at that time for a certificate of identity. So to call Jesus the image or the icon of God is to say that Jesus is the perfect picture of God. That's what the Bible says in other places. John 1.18 tells us that no one has ever seen God, but his son has made him known. Jesus himself said a couple of times in John, when you see me, you see my father. And he says, I and the father are one. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus alone reflects the glory of God and bears the fullness of God in him. So if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. God has revealed himself as a human being on planet Earth at a specific moment in human history. And it's the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is he. And only in Jesus, only in Jesus, do we see the invisible God visible. So when we look at Jesus, we can say that is That's what God is like. That is what God is. And so there's nothing, there is nothing of God that we need to know that cannot be seen in Jesus. There is nothing of God that we need to know That cannot be seen in Jesus. Therefore the mind of Jesus is the mind of God. The words of Jesus are the words of God. The actions of Jesus are the actions of God. The attitudes of Jesus are the attitudes of God. So so God is not holding back anything from us that cannot be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now you have to understand this. God is not holding back anything from us that cannot uh, be known in the person of Jesus Christ. So that, that means this. If you think yourself on a search for God, I can help you. Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ. When he speaks, God speaks. Jesus is the exact representation and Jesus is the complete manifestation in that sense of God. He is the full, final and complete revelation of God, and to think of Jesus less than that, the Bible would say is blasphemy. To think of Jesus less than God is to think is to think in a way that is blasphemy. So here's the good news. If you know Jesus, you know God. So that's the question, right? The good news, if you know Jesus, you know God. The question is, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him as he's supposed to be known? This is not, do you know Christ the way you would like to know Christ? Lots of people do that. It's an awful mess. But do you know Jesus Christ as he's supposed to be known? There's a a dirty little four-letter word here. It's okay. It's not that bad, but it's the word only. (laughs) right? That's always getting Christians in trouble only. Jesus is not one of many gods. He is the one and only God. And the Bible says this again and again, only Christ makes God known to us. About two years ago, there was a, during the Christmas season, there was a bookstore and they were promoting spiritual books. And and they had this kind of little slogan that said, With You in Spirit, The Best of Inspirational Writings. And what they did was they had a list of the top 50 in their minds recommended uh, spiritual books. So they had the list and the Bible was on the list. The authorized version was on there and they had the Quran. They had books on witchcraft, the the Baha faith, Shinto Hinduism, and all the other faiths that are there and, and they're all there. And then they had this leaflet you could pick up and the leaflet said this. Whatever your interest, see that kind of consumer mindset, whatever you like, meditation or prayer, fire walking, sh- shamanic drumming, or an out-of-body experience, you will find something to suit your personality. But if we're going to read Colossians 1.15a and we're going to believe it, it doesn't say anything near that. What Colossians 1.15a is saying that every one of those books should have only been about Jesus Christ. Every one of them, because only Christ can reveal to us who God is. Verse 15a, he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19a, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell or revealed in Christ. Now, it's hard to fully get that across, that, that high, high view of Jesus. I hope that you sense my exasperation. I mean, that exasperation is what I felt all week trying to put these uh, verses down in words. Because these are big themes. They, they not get, go past the mind. Exasperation, but also frustration. Well, what kind of frustration? Well, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it becomes very frustrating for me, and I can't stand it more and more when Jesus Christ is not glorified the way that he should be glorified. So there's a sense of frustration, and John Stott has the same frustration. And this is what he says. To regulate Christianity to one chapter in the book of world religions is to Christian people intolerable. Jesus Christ to us is not one of many spiritual leaders in the history of the world. He's not one of Hinduism's many, many gods he is not one of the 40 prophets recognized in the Quran. He is not an avatar to us. He is Jesus and nothing can be added to that. He is unique. He has no peers, no rivals, no successors. He is unique in his birth. He is unique in his death. And he is unique in his resurrection. Which means what? What? Which means no one in this room can ever, ever think too highly of Jesus. You understand that? We can never, ever think too highly of Jesus. What's your best thought on Christ? Just put it in your mind. Great. Now expand it and do that until you die. Why? Because we can never, ever, ever think too highly of Jesus. There's a couple of things come to mind. One of the things comes to mind is, I think I've told you this before about Eric Little. Eric Little lived in the mid-part of the 20th century. He was a professional rugby player, and he was, you know, he was the, the craze of the sporting world. He was really good at what he did. When he was done, he could have lived a cushy life. You know, he could a cushy life. What do sports guys do that are really good? Well, they live the rest of their life. A lot of them do a cushy life, and they tell the corporate world, and they tell the world over and over again, you know, their former sporting glories, right? So you've heard 16 million times how many times Joe Namath predicted before the Super Bowl, we're going to win the Super Bowl. And I'm like, okay, enough. <laughs> we get it. So, so when, when Eric Little, when he gave up all that stuff and when he stuck his head outside of the bus and the bus was taking him to a boat and the boat was taking him to northern China where he would spend 18 years of his life and die as a martyr for Jesus Christ, when he stuck his head out of the bus and said, Christ for the world, for the world needs Christ. It wasn't corny. It made absolute sense. It made absolute sense. He wasn't being stupid. He wasn't being radical. He wasn't throwing his life away. He was, in one sense, being Christian. And the point of that for us is not do more for Jesus. The point is actually this. Just do everything for Jesus. Okay, so Everything for Jesus. Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you a teacher? A nurse? A kid? A friend? A farmer? A factory worker? Homework? Housework? Whatever it is. Everything for Jesus because we can never, ever think too highly of Jesus. And so again, I say to you, if you know Jesus, you know God. Verse 19a, all of God's fullness dwells in Jesus. So again, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? Jesus because you have to know this, Jesus, because success and failure of our whole lives and all eternity hinges on whether you know Jesus. What what did Jesus say? What does it profit a man or a woman or a young person if they get everything they want? And what does it profit a man or a person or a young person, a woman or a young person, if they get every title they desire? What does it profit of them? They just want to lay low and just kind of disconnect from the world. What does it profit a person if they get all they want out of life and not know Jesus? Simple answer. Absolutely nothing. Why? Well, because Jesus is the exact image of God. He's the divine representation of God in human flesh. He is the divine manifestation of God in human flesh. He is the effulgence. He is the radiance. He is the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our first... First point, who is Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God. Secondly, then, verse 15b, he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, some of you will know that that phrase, firstborn over all creation, has been a trouble and and great debate for some people. Historically, uh, in the fourth century, the debate began with a guy named Arius. And he brought division in the church of Jesus Christ by saying this, that Jesus was not eternally one with God. He said that there was a time when Jesus Christ did not exist. So he couldn't be God. And that phrase in verse 15b was actually used by him as part of his argument. And as those things go, we want a quick following. Because on the surface, if you just looked at that little part of verse 15b and just looked at it as, as it is, on the surface, you, know, you might be able to come to that conclusion that, that um, Jesus is born. The Jehovah's Witness. They always use this text as one of their foundational texts to explain why Jesus is less than God. Orthodox Christianity says there was a time when Jesus was not man. Yes, there was, but there was never a time when Jesus wasn't, and there was never a time when Jesus wasn't God. That's Orthodox Christianity, right? Let me say that again. There was, there was a time when Jesus was not man, but there was never a time that Jesus did not exist, and there was never a time when Jesus was not God, However, this verse with a few other scriptures is kind of fundamental to those lines of thinking that people say, well, no, no, Jesus was a, is, a, is a created being. He's not God. He may be a God, but he is not the God. And again, if you just pull it out of the context, then you might be able to say that. Well, how do we explain this? Well, first of all, how do we understand the Bible? How do we understand every verse in the Bible? We understand every verse in the Bible in its context. So look at verse 16. Right after verse 15b, Paul says, For by him all things were created. So Paul is saying in that verse that everything exists only because of Jesus. Now Paul's too good of a theologian to set two opposing truths right next to another. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. This phrase then, over all creation, refers to position, okay, and not to time. So the text doesn't say the firstborn in creation but the firstborn over all creation, big difference. And all of a sudden that little phrase firstborn has to mean something. Well, then the second thing we do is we try to understand how that little phrase firstborn was used in the whole of the Bible. And you're saying, well, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work because the truth is really important. So you have to go in your Bible and you dig, dig, dig. And well, when you dig, 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 you're gonna find out this, that that little phrase in the beginning of verse 15b, firstborn over is actually a Jewish phrase that Paul's readers that were Jewish and Christian would completely understand. They would know that phrase to mean this, that the firstborn refers to authority and dignity as the person of Christ is and not to the time of Christ. So let me give you two examples, those of you who know your Old Testament. Jacob and Esau, right, in the case of Isaac. Jacob and Esau, Manasseh and Ephraim in the case of Joseph. In both cases, the firstborn did not get first rights. They did not get the dignity and the uh, authority and the weight of what firstborn should have been, they, but they did get first rights. Now, listen to your Bible. This is Jeremiah one nine. God is speaking. This is what God says. Because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son, okay, so right there, let's be a skeptic. And the skeptic knows their Bible really, really good. And they're going to go, oh, see, I told you the Bible was stupid. I told you it just always doesn't say the right thing. I told you that it just doesn't connect. Because everybody knows that Ephraim was not the firstborn son. See, there's a mistake. So trash your Bible. Genesis 1, or Genesis 41:50, Manasseh was born first and not Ephraim. Genesis 48, we find that Ephraim and not Manasseh received the blessing. Do you understand this? So right off the bat, a good Jewish person would understand this is no problem for them. We understand what's happening here. Who's the firstborn? Well, in the case of Manasseh and Ephraim, it was Manasseh. But who got the dignity and the blessing of first rights or first birth? Ephraim did. So who really is the firstborn? Well, Ephraim is. Well, why is he the, then called that? Because he reserved the dignity and authority of what a firstborn should get. And so in essence a good Jew would have no problem with verse 15b. So it doesn't have to be a problem for us if we think through it. J.B. Phillips said this about verse 15b. He existed before creation began, for it was through him that everything was made. So that little phrase is declaring authority, and it's declaring dignity, but it is not declaring chronology. Okay, Thanks for sticking with me through that one. Who is Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God. Verse 15b, he's the first born over all creation. Thirdly then, verses 16 and 17, for by Jesus all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were made by Jesus and all things were made for Jesus. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now, there's three little prepositional phrases that I kind of want us uh, to cling to there. And they're essentially this, by Christ, for Christ, in Christ. By Christ, for Christ, in Christ. And and may, may God make this our life breath. All things we are am made by Christ. All things I am, we are made for Christ. All things I am, we are held together in Christ. So first of all Christ is the agent of creation verse 16 for by him all things were created things in heaven and earth and so on. You see see there's absolutely no reason to assert that Jesus is God and assert that he's deity if he wasn't involved in creation. We have to understand that Jesus Christ was involved in creation. He was he was part of the process. And so here, Paul has the whole created order in view, and this should be very, very important to some of us. Everything, visible, invisible, world, the, everything was made by Jesus Christ. What about the dark powers? Was that made by Christ? Yes, it was. Does that mean he's over them? Yes, he is. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's like stretches the mind. Now, okay, now everybody's paying attention. Did you hear what I just said? Okay, it stretches the mind. Listen to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. There must be loving purposes behind man's rebellion and the evil world's rebellion. Yes, there is. All things made by God. Everything's coming to His appointed end. So when we read in Genesis one, and God said, "Let there be," God's word creating. It wasn't God just making a sound; it was personality, if you would, coming out of the mouth of God. It was God making all things through the eternal Son, through the living Word. God was making everything, so the galaxies, the galaxy, galaxies that scientists tell us that are ever expanding, so the largest galaxies to the smallest subatomic particle. The supreme fact is this: that Christ. Creation, then, is is, is the loving expression of Jesus Christ. Somebody once said, if you you seek God's monument, look around you. Jesus created everything. Now, now I understand this a whole lot, but there's like a large number of voices that would say, that's not true. There's no way that you can say Jesus created everything. And I want to promise you this. I promise you, Lord willing, next Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll address some of those voices. I've been, I've been studying the M-theory, Stephen Hawkins, David Hume, Bertrand Russell. It's horrible. <laughs> I went home angry Thursday night, to be really honest with you. It's tough to read. But just this morning, we're going to do what the Bible says. We're going to just listen to the Bible. All creation took place through Jesus Christ, and nothing took place without Jesus Christ. And so, the atheists, the deists, the evolutionists, some scientists, when they kind of get wrinkled in their eyebrows, this is why, because this is what it's saying. What Jesus is saying through his creation is that this world is going to a place. It's linear. It's not circular. It's not going to go on forever and ever, ever and ever. It's going to a place, and the place is the person of Jesus Christ. The, the creation, Romans 8, waits in eager expectation for that day. And when that day happens, Jesus will lay to the floor every scientific argument against him. He'll lay to the floor every scientific argument against him. All things you, me, were made by Christ. All things I am, you are made for Christ. Who am I? Why, Why am I here? You were made for Jesus Christ. Abraham Kuyper lived in the early part of the 20th century. He was a founder of the Free University of Amsterdam and he was a prime minister of, of uh, Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. This is what he said. There is not one square inch of the whole domain of human existence over which Jesus Christ may not cry, mine, mine. I'm going to read that again. There is not one square inch of the whole domain of human existence over which Jesus Christ may not cry, mine, mine, Mine. You think for a moment, everything we have for Christ, everything about us, everything there is for Christ. That is to be a definition of our existence. So all creation, including you and I, is set to bring Christ, honor, and glory. How do we please Christ? Well, everything we do has to bring Jesus Christ, honor, and glory. Why? Because everything was made for Christ. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever thought of living your life this way, but this is true. All of our existence is to be for Christ, for his honor, and for his glory. So there's nothing in the universe that that exists for its own sake. There's nothing in creation that just exists for its own sake. There's not one person in this room that exists just for their own sake. We exist, the Bible says, for the pleasure of Christ, to please Christ. Now, what is this? Well, this is Jesus Christ unleashed, right? You can't domesticate Jesus. This is not a little trinket, a little religious trinket Jesus or the little doll Jesus that we can take with us, you know, and all the bad things. No, no, we got our little Jesus doll. This is not that. Jesus Christ is not a, like a regional deity that only fixes home problems. So so what is Paul saying? Well, in part he's saying, you know, from the ugliest cockroach to the largest whale to the largest mountain to the smallest rock from the tiniest of babies still in their mother's womb from some, some dear woman alone in her room. All of those things, everything exists to make the supremacy of Jesus Christ more fully acknowledged. Why are you here on this earth? To make the supremacy of Jesus Christ more fully acknowledged. Hey, man, man, Hey, man, what's up? Nothing. What are you doing? <laughs> Trying to make the supremacy of Jesus Christ more fully known in my life. One more quote from John Stott. He writes in his book, Our Guilty Silence, about this. Either we don't know this, about the supremacy of Christ, or we don't believe this. And then he quotes a Buddhist monk it appears Christianity has, the, has come of age of adolescence, where the child now is slightly embarrassed of their father. I think if Paul was in this room, one of the questions he would ask us is, is, has Jesus Christ gone public with you? And he would say, what is the goal of your life? And if we didn't give an answer sort of like this, I want to make the supremacy of Jesus Christ more fully known, then Paul would say, that answer is unacceptable, and just in case, just in case we're tempted to reject this, you know, to kind of turn away, just in case we'll say, well, look, nobody can tell me how to live. And, and I know what I am here for and, and nobody can tell me what to live for. Just in case, that's where verse 17 comes in, right? He's before all things and in him all things hold together, Hebrews 1.3, he sustains everything by his powerful word. So this is the majesty, the personality, the authority, the security. This is love. All things exist in Christ. All things exist for Christ. And Christ makes this universe. He makes it not a chaos, but if you would, a cosmos. Cosmos. Jesus Christ, that's Lightfoot. Jesus Christ is the answer to, to um, quantum mechanics. And he's the answer to the strong force of what is keeping these atomic particles together. They still haven't figured it out. And so they have fancy words like quantum mechanics and, and, and strong force. And like, listen, this is what's keeping these, this world together. The person of Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing... Outside of him, nothing outside the power of Christ, nothing outside the authority of Jesus Christ, which includes dark forces, right? Dark forces, boy, they just make a killing in Christian books about dark forces. Powers and principalities that frighten us. The things that we can't control, things that we don't want, nothing we can see. Nothing we can't see from our past to our future. Nothing is outside the authority and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And yeah, Sometimes, you know, we groan in this mess of a world and we say, well, is Jesus really in control? Well, look at the world. Well, let me just give you one example and then we're done. Just think of it as a tapestry, right? The front of the tapestry is a beautiful, beautiful picture. But what do you see in the back of the tapestry? Just a horrible mess, strings everywhere and and things going all over the place. That's us. When one side, it seems like a bloody mess. You turn to the right side, when you see it the way Jesus sees it, it's all going according to his plan. Everything is under Jesus Christ's authority. Why? Well, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is over all creation. Everything, which includes you and I, everything was created by him and everything was created for him and everything is held together by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I don't know if this is your goal, but may it be your goal. Every breath that you take, every, every move that you make for Christ, for Christ, for Christ, the hymn writer says, give up your small ambitions. It's good, right? Everything for Christ. May God help us to that end. Now let's bow together as we prepare for communion if the elders of our congregation would come forward. You know, Father, we um, pray that everything that was good and useful in this talk, everything that was good and useful in exalting the Lord Jesus Christ would stay and everything that was not so good and not so useful would just be uh, swept away. And we ask this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.